Hey, Doug, what are you drinking? <laughs> that was gold, fucker. Give me a second to regroup. I wasn't prepared for that intensity. <laughs> well, Eric, tonight I am enjoying the frosty pleasure known as Dale's Pale Ale, produced by the Oscar Blues Brewery up in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's pretty fucking hoppy, but it's not an IPA. It's still an American pale ale. Pretty stout at uh, 6.5% ABV. I think you might even like this one. What are you drinking, Eric? I'm drinking This Season's Blonde by Aspen Brewing Company. Very delicious. You know I love the blondes. I hope they keep making this. I'm really looking forward to the IPA months with you, though. That's going to be awesome. That blonde is one that I quite enjoy myself. What is the IBU on that one? It might not say on the can. It doesn't. It's a 5.6 ABV, but the IBUs are not on here. This season's blonde. I wonder if they mix up the recipe for that from year to year. I hope so, because you don't want to be tasting this season's blonde next season. Oh, it depends on the blonde. I haven't been able to figure out if that's a reference to the craft of the beer or if that's like a TV show reference or something like this season's blonde. It's this season, this beer season. I don't think it's a reference for TV at all. I think you're completely in the wrong place with that. (laughs) Last week on Blonde. This is Project Challenged with your host, Doug Lund, coming together right now over the D in Challenge, and Eric Hollis, the supervillain of Bitface fame. Tonight we've got an episode that is very heavily themed in the comic book universe, both on the, the small screen and the big screen. But first we're going to start with what is Eric playing update? Right now I'm playing Horizon Zero Dawn, and I didn't think I would play a game that I'd liked as much as Zelda this year, and two weeks later I'm changing my opinion. It's really good. Now, I probably put in 25 hours into Zelda, I'm probably 10 hours into Horizon, but it's amazing. And it's very similar, besides the fact I'll say that Horizon has a much less clunky inventory and crafting system, and better graphics, and right now those two things are putting it over the top. On the Nintendo side, though, it is Zelda. But if you have a Sony console, try Horizon Zero Dawn. It's amazing. So I need to play this game. You really need to get in and play it. And I know we talked about gaming together Friday, and we couldn't decide on a multiplayer title. And I brought up, like, hey, we should both just get Horizon and we'll just talk. That would have been our best decision. So, (laughs) (laughs) But now you're uh, hooked in and you can't be bothered to stop and wait for Doug to catch up. I'm taking off on vacation, so you've actually got plenty of time to catch up. Okay. Going by Rebecca's description on BitFaced a couple weeks ago, she made it kind of sound like Clan of the Cave Bear set in a post-apocalyptic Colorado. That's very much what it is. It has the same exploratory aspects of Zelda, almost to the point where you have to unlock towers to clear the map, except the towers in Horizon move. They're actual robots. And I don't want to give anything away, but... I'm normally not really into story in games. I pay attention a little bit, but not too much. I'm really into the story in Horizon. So the burning question is, who's playing fucking Red Rocks in post-apocalyptic Colorado? 
Well, everything's torn up. You can find – I think they're called focus points or vantage points or something. And they're places in Colorado. And I've only found one so far. I found Mile High Stadium. And so I guess I'm, I'm rolling around Denver right now. Uh, make sure and take a steaming shit on Mile High Stadium while you're there. You know, if the game did have a shit function, it would have been the first thing I did. So you were ready to label Zelda Game of the Year a few hours I, after I, playing it. I still think that's going to be my pick. I will say, though, for Horizon to be a Zelda-style game, there's a lot of clunkiness in Zelda. I'll specifically point out the cooking mechanic. It should have been more efficient on a system that the entire game depends on for survival. Horizon's crafting system and the things I've done with it feel very intuitive compared to what I expect from Nintendo. That's fair, and I'm not going to argue. I'm only probably 15 hours into Zelda at this point, and I'm in complete agreement. It shouldn't take me 20 minutes to make 10 items, but oftentimes just searching through the menus looking for the right ingredients and making sure I've got them in the right proportions, and the fact that I can only cook one at a fucking time means that it takes way too much time to do that, and that means you're spending less time actually playing. My point exactly. How many shrines have you taken down? I've got two heart container upgrades and one stamina upgrade. So I think I've probably got 15 of them or so. And I haven't been really diligent about running through each one that I've hit. I've tagged a couple just to get the waypoint, knowing that I'll come back to them. But I'm really trying to get still an idea of the scope. I really have only made it so far as to get those extra features unlocked in my Shiza Stone. Then uh, What's-Her-Face was telling me about the memories, so I went and tracked down the first one of those. It took me a fucking hour and a half to do one of those memories, so I'm not really doing anything sequentially, but like I told you last night in text, it's one of those games where I don't even accomplish anything for hours at a time, and I'm still just having a blast while I'm doing it. That was the appeal for me, too. You can really get lost in that world, and I think that's one of the biggest compliments you can give a video game. I loved knocking the shrines out, but I also I skipped some shrines, too. I would try the puzzle. If I didn't get it within 10 minutes, I'd leave and go try something else. I couldn't resist the unlocking the map, and I know that's been a feature that's been prevalent in a, the Assassin's Creed games, which I totally shit on in the last episode of, oh, shit, of Bitface that hasn't even been up yet. But anyway... I liked unlocking the map of Hyrule. Horizon Zero Dawn has a similar feature. I'm glad that you and Nikki are both enjoying it, though. There's not anyone that's going to say that they hate that game. I haven't seen anybody shitting on that game yet. And when I say the inventory system is clunky, I am being nitpicky as fuck. Don't think that you're not going to enjoy it. It's wonderful. It probably will be my game of the year still, but Horizon might be a very solid number two. You mentioned the biggest compliment that you can give a game. For me, it's always been how engaged my wife, Nikki, gets. And if she picks up a title and can't put it down, knowing how precious her time is these days, that's how I know when something is really next-level spectacular. And luckily, since she's on her night schedule, we're not fighting for <laughs> the controller. It's pretty much I wake up in the morning and she's just finished playing, and I'll get home at night, and then she heads off to work, and I'll play until what time I got to go to bed that night, and then she gets home the next day, and <laughs> lather, rinse, repeat, the cycle continues from there. So we're definitely hooked on the, the Zelda smack right now. And Nikki, to your point, is a very good judge of games. I mean, Nikki was into Pac-Man 256. Nikki was into Skyforce. Nikki was into WoW. Nikki knows her shit. Oh, Absolutely been a long time probably since world of warcraft that i've seen her this engaged with a particular title because this one deviates a little bit arcade games 
she's definitely adept at. And she likes going toe-to-toe with you and Nils in particular and being able to compare achievements and scores and whatnot. But, you know, being able to really dive into a game like this that's got a more difficult fighting mechanic. Like, you couldn't hand the controller to an eight-year-old and expect him to have fun playing this Zelda game like you could with practically any other Zelda game. Just a little bit. Do you think the fighting mechanic is that much harder? I think to be really successful at it and being able to change weapons out on the fly like you often have to do. I mean, the Z-Trigger combat and being able to dodge, roll, backflip, those kinds of things, those have been in previous Zelda games, but they're actually a little more difficult just because of the button mapping and where they decided to assign functions. And again, the fact that you're having to change bows and melee weapons and, and shit on the fly while you're fighting in order to be successful. Yeah, it's more complicated and therefore by default more difficult. I guess I didn't have much of a problem with it, but it's very similar to Dark Souls in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I say that with praise to Nintendo. Pun intended. Pun intended. Let's get into the meat of the show today, which, again, is a comic book overload theme. We're going to start with the Justice League trailer, which we saw while we were recording the last episode, but this is, I think, the first chance we've had to talk about it. And the reason we're leading with DC is not bias. It's because everything else that we have to talk about tonight is Marvel, and I figured we'd get DC out of the way first, which uh, actually says a lot if (laughs) you think about what that might mean in the big picture. Justice League trailer. Eric, what are your first thoughts? I liked it. I don't have much hope for it, but but I liked it. I mean, I never thought I'd see a live-action trailer with Aquaman riding on the front of the Batmobile. That was pretty sweet. trying to give DC as much credit as I can. It didn't look like a Zack Snyder movie. That's the best thing I can say about it. That trailer did not look like Zack Snyder shot that footage. We've talked about Zack Snyder's strengths and weaknesses before, and it's funny that you mentioned that because that was going to be the first thing that I mentioned is that I really liked the aesthetic of the movie, that stylized universe that they've created for all of these characters at this point. It even looked, I would say, noticeably different than Batman versus Superman. Less gray? Are you noticing like a little bit of pop of color? And I'm not even talking about the costumes just in general and the shots. And I normally don't get into the cinematography aspect of it. It's way beyond my intellect level. It looked a lot brighter. And again, it didn't look like Snyder shot it. There was a joke. (laughs) More than one. And actually, yeah, more than one joke. Still muted colors because I think they are still trying to differentiate themselves from Marvel, starting with the appearance and the tone and the grittiness, etc. But yeah, not as dark as Batman versus Superman or anything else that we've seen from the Snyderverse so far. My reaction to it was, yeah, this looks better. I'm not going to let my hopes get up, but things are definitely, by the trailer appearance, not as terrible as they could be. No Superman. Are they saving that for the big third act reveal? That was my second observation. We're in complete agreement on this. And I think when allowing the trailer to appeal to as broad an audience as possible, it makes sense that Superman didn't show up. Because even though we saw the dirt start rising up at the end of Batman vs. Superman, we know he's alive. We don't know how he's going to be reintroduced back to the world post-death and, more importantly, into the Justice League as a whole. I'm starting to wonder if they're not setting him up as a baddie in this movie. I'm definitely predicting black costume. And I think that's been confirmed at this point, right? It's been suggested that that's definitely an element that we're going to see. I don't know for how long. I mean, we know he was buried in a black outfit, presumably, if they're sticking to any kind of canon at all from the Death of Superman storylines. But black outfit, long hair, is that what we should expect to start? I don't want to see the super mullet, do you? I don't know that I care one way or the other. (laughs) You just want to see a good DC movie. 
Thank you. I do. My next conclusion, with the vacuum of leadership that Superman has left, because it's always been a triumvirate at the core, right? The Justice League, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman. And Batman was the one who started to pull the strings and uh, make Wonder Woman aware of these other enhanced humans out there. I don't see Batman as the leader in this movie. I see Wonder Woman being portrayed as the leader, and I think that's fucking awesome. You know, I didn't notice that until you had said something about it, but I like that too. Yeah, Superman's always the de facto leader of the Justice League or Martian Manhunter. At times. Either way, I can't believe they went with Cyborg. He's not one I consider the seven. If I were to name seven Justice League members, Cyborg would not make many of the lists. He has been so heavily used, though, in like Teen Titans and uh, really anything that they've done with Justice League and the animated properties in the last 15 years that it doesn't surprise me at all that he features in the first Justice League movie. I mean, normally it's Manhunter and Green Lantern would fill out the roster. Or Hawkman. Yeah, Hawkman. Girl in the cartoon. And you have to wonder if they're avoiding stepping on any toes or storylines with the Legends of Tomorrow show. I still have yet to see more than one episode, but I hear it is actually doing quite well. And we know Green Lantern is getting his own movie. I don't know about Martian Manhunter. I know he's hanging out on Supergirl, has made a few appearances over there. Although now that I think about it, my whole position over the past several months has been that they're intentionally creating a multiverse between the TV properties and the movie properties, which should be able to operate independently of one another and not have to worry about what each is doing. We did get to see The Flash visiting his father in jail did in the that? trailer. Ah, I did miss that. You do see a shot of movie Flash in a very similar scene that I've seen on TV Flash. Aquaman rides the Batmobile. That's what I took away from the two and a half minutes I watched on Saturday. So they're starting with the Justice League characters that are on Earth already to begin with. Because if we've got no Green Lantern yet, and again, I don't even know which Green Lantern we're actually going to get. If it's going to be an Earthling Green Lantern or since they're calling it Green Lantern Corps, that could mean a lot of things. I'm assuming we'll get one at least. And Martian Manhunter can be introduced at some time down the road once they start to expand off of Earth into the space base characters, much like they're doing in the Marvel Universe. Slowly getting into space, yeah. Yeah, you start with the group of characters that you know, and then you throw in some crazy shit like Marvel did with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and then you start to put all of the pieces together where it makes sense for all of these characters to be interacting and showing up in the same places. God, I hope it's good. And I hope Wonder Woman's good. I hope DC kind of has a year of cinematic redemption. They fucking need it. Get Wonder Woman first and then Justice League in November? Yes. Sandwiched neatly between those, we get a healthy dose of a character that you have been waiting a long time to see portrayed in this manner in his own film. Okay, the Homecoming trailer I saw today, I wish I wouldn't have watched it because I thought it revealed way too much about the plot. But I'm very excited for it. I can't believe they have Vulture rocking the old feathered collar jacket. Michael Keaton's going to do a great job as the villain. I thought the trailer showed too much, though, but I'm really excited for it. Yeah, that was my big praise for the last trailer we got for Homecoming, is that they had kind of left it intentionally vague and they showed us some highlights. I don't see the point in giving away a lot of plot in a movie that people are going to go see anyway. Based on what I've watched, and I've only seen it twice, it looks like he gives up the awesome tech suit and finishes the movie in the classic spider goggles, and I think that's awesome. And I thought the new suit looked great. I never thought I'd live in an era where that would look good in a movie. I mean, if you go back to the 70s Spider-Man fucking show they used to show on USA, that costume looks terrible around real people. 
They make it fucking look good, dude. They sell the shit out of it. And I'm glad to see my friendly neighborhood Spider-Man finally popping on the screen. And that's no discredit to the Raimi movies. It's definitely a discredit to the Andrew Garfield movies. <laughs> I love it. And I think Tom Holland is a great Peter Parker. They finally cast a fucking kid. And I think that's the key when you have the caliber of actors that you have playing the rest of the Avengers. And I think I've probably mentioned that on a podcast before, but Tom Holland is the shit. I hope he knocks this out of the fucking park. And you've heard me articulate my displeasure with how heavy Iron Man is apparently going to be featured in this movie. Now that I see how they're using him and why, really, they're using their most popular character who really put the Marvel MCU on the map, the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man, to bring Spider-Man into the fold. It works at a meta level in addition to the cinematic level. You've got Spider-Man being welcomed back after living in Sony land for so long, finally being able to rejoin the Marvel Universe. And what better way to be reintroduced than, you know, who had been the big man on campus up until this point. Downey, too, at one point we had heard he was done. Now it seems like he can't show up for enough Marvel movies. What did that mean when he was done, though? I mean, because wasn't he still under contract for like six more movies when he said that? Actually, I listened last night to the Civil War commentary, and he was not under contract to do Civil War. Joe and Anthony Russo convinced him to do that movie. Maybe he's decided like, you know what? Hey, I'm fucking Tony Stark. This is what I'm going to do, because he's definitely doing at least one of the Infinity movies. Right. And Homecoming. I think he's going to be very heavily featured in the first act of that movie if the trailer was any indication. Maybe serve, again, as the backbone and the bridge to the rest of the cinematic universe, because we don't see any of the other characters from the MCU, at least in the trailer. And to your point about how apparently he loses the suit pretty early on in the movie, motherfucker runs off and decides to try and do something on his own against the advice of Tony Stark and then gets his Stark suit taken away. So he's back to square one. It's kind of interesting how they flip the tables on the evolution of the suit there. I can't wait to see it. I hope they do a really good job with it. And we're getting that in July. We're about to have a bunch of great months worth of films. We get Guardians, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man three months in a row, right? Right. It's about to be a really good summer. Guardians is May. Wonder Woman. June. Spider-Man in July. Last time on the big screen is the update uh, from the writers on the Deadpool sequel, which wasn't really what I would consider newsworthy. Basically said the script is done and they're going to be filming soon. The interesting part is that one of the writers, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it absolutely left the door open for a Jackman appearance in Deadpool 2. And maybe we will see that. They're certainly leading a lot with it. Now I'm remembering exactly how it was framed. The interviewer actually brought up, well, now that Jackman's done with the Logan, how would you guys feel about using Hugh Jackman as Hugh Jackman in the Deadpool movie, which would be maybe not the way we want to see these two actors appear together on the screen. But how would you feel about Hugh Jackman showing up in a Hugh Jackman cameo in the Deadpool movie? Is that question rhetorical? I would fucking <laughs> love that. I mean, obviously, you'd rather have him as Logan, but... If Hugh wants to be done with Wolverine... Awesome. You know what? You did that part better justice than anyone can. All right, so on to television, the bastard stepchild of the silver screen. Maybe something that got lost in some of the bigger news from the last week with the trailers and the updates on uh, some of the bigger properties was the Inhumans series, which is set to debut on ABC in September. I think the announcement recently was that they're going to do the first two episodes in IMAX. 
big fucking deal. I thought the people that were working on this particular property, what that actually indicated about some of the other stuff that we've been watching and discussions that we've had was actually much more interesting. So they've been working towards this Inhumans standalone show for a while on S.H.I.E.L.D. Eric, I'll admit, when I looked at the cast of characters, I was not familiar with a single one. Do these look familiar to you? I can name Black Bolt, Medusa. That's it. They appeared in Secret War. And I heard at one point they were going to the Inhumans because they couldn't use the word mutant. Right. And they've kind of replaced that. I don't know much about the Inhumans. I'm not going to say I'm not a big fan, but I never really got into the book. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, I'll admit, I wasn't very familiar with before I saw the film. And this is going to be the same way. And we're to assume that since they're limited to using non-X-Men, that we're pretty much getting the rejects of the metahuman universe there on ABC. I would say that. I mean, would you say Star-Lord is like a, a reject character or Groot or Drax? I mean, they're just kind of those kind of characters. Yeah, but they're not mutants. Those They're extraterrestrial. Well, I mean, Star-Lord's half human, but they're using inhumans because they cannot use mutants specifically. And I mean, the Inhumans had their own book for a while. I don't think we're getting like C-list comic characters. I think they can take the characters and do something with them. Well, I hope so. I know that this is planned to run alongside S.H.I.E.L.D. and presumably also start tying in some of the cinematic properties. Since Wasn't Inhumans originally planned to be a movie before they decided to put it on the small screen? It was. In fact, I can't remember exactly what happened with it, but it was supposed to be one of the Marvel movies. It is not anymore. Maybe because Marvel is going to buy X-Men back. Don't fucking tease me, man. It would make me happy, and I don't think Fox has done a bad job. In fact, Fox has done a great job overall, but I'd really like to see everyone playing in the same playground. Have you ever done any research on whose fucking idea it was to license these properties out with contracts that wouldn't allow them to return to Marvel ownership for decades at a time? Actually, Doug, a package from Amazon just arrived today with a book I've been dying to read, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, that goes into this. Really? So I'm (laughs) planning on learning about this on my plane flight to New Orleans on Thursday. (laughs) Excellent, because I'm very curious to hear that story as well. So that is... Basically, Marvel was broke, and I guess they got fucked in the ass. I mean, that's the way that you'd tell it in prison. And I guess that makes sense, like... You're hurting for cash, and if someone comes along and wants to license your property and they draw up a contract that seems ridiculous, you're like, well, what the fuck? We're never going to do anything with this anyway. You have to think about when the deal happened, comic book movies were nowhere close to what they are. Comic books had not tapped into Hollywood at that point. Right, but the minute that a competing studio or any studio starts expressing interest in your properties, don't you think that would have clued someone into the fact that there was some potential there? And yeah, license it out for 10 years. Fuck, maybe 15, but not in perpetuity. They lost Spider-Man and the X-Men, so as long as certain benchmarks are met every couple number of years, Sony and Fox will retain the rights indefinitely. They lost the Fantastic Four, too. Yeah, Big deal. You can't see this, listeners, but I am making a jerking off motion. I'd like to see Reed Richards in the Marvel Universe, even if he does just show up to explain some shit. Yeah, obviously the more characters they have, the deeper stories they can tell. But is there really room for the Fantastic Four in whatever limited time we have left to enjoy the comic book age of movies? With where we're at now, getting six, seven comic book movies a year, there's an end to this coming at some point. They have had two movies, I'd argue, 
or three in the comic book age of movies. So we have got to see the characters. Those movies were not great. I didn't think the last one, the reboot, was terrible, but also nowhere near the caliber of storytelling and character development that we're seeing in the MCU. I hated the last movie. I thought it was awful. I thought Doctor Doom was the worst ever. The costume was terrible. We could have built that with a couple packs of batteries on a weekend. I thought the reboot was better than Silver Surfer. I've only made it 20 minutes into Silver Surfer. Oh, that's how you sleep at night. I didn't know that. (laughs) And I really want you to check out the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. That's the one you need to see. Here we go with Roger Corman again. And there's a great documentary about the making of that movie you also need to watch. I'm going to bet that heroin, margarine, spatulas, and dog collars are involved in that story. None of the above. (laughs) It's going to blow your mind. Then that might be the first Corman pick that I actually pick up. Oh, no, wait. There was another one that you wanted me to watch first. The original Death Race. Yeah, that one. That I might have actually seen at least part of. Anyway, we're way off topic again. As I started digging into the production team on Inhumans, there was a couple things that became apparent pretty quickly about some other properties that we're going to talk about. So the showrunner and executive producer for Inhumans is Scott Buck, and he is also the executive producer of Iron Fist, which we talked about on our last episode and not in the most favorable light. We didn't, and I still haven't gone back and revisited at all. I have no desire to watch Iron Fist. I'm going to go into Defenders without the Iron Fist. I've got you on tape saying, well, Doug, if you tell me that I need to go back and watch it, I'll go back and watch it. And You know what? I changed my fucking mind. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that upon a second viewing, episode one was much better than the first time, and I actually watched it start to finish, which I think you have yet to actually accomplish yourself. Episode two was even much better than the first episode. So this Scott Buck guy was involved in a couple of shows that I really enjoyed. I don't know if you ever watched Dexter. I lasted a few seasons. I didn't complete it. But Six Feet Under was one of the defining shows of HBO and was able to make that claim because they were able to tell stories in a way that I had never seen done before with some character archetypes that he he practically invented himself. So I'm holding out hope for Iron Fist. You can also see there that Jeff Loeb is obviously involved in the production. What's interesting, though, is that it lists Jeff as a producer on Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage, but not Iron Fist. How did that happen? Because that's true of both him and Jim Chory. Obviously, he's been involved in a lot of the properties, including not just the Netflix, but also Legion Shield, Gifted, and the upcoming Defender. I don't know. I love Loeb. If you've never picked up a comic book written by him, you should do it. He's got a lot of great series out there. Shit, Spider-Man Blue was phenomenal. I don't know why he was left off Iron Fist. I think maybe Iron Fist would be a better show. But I can't say that because I haven't watched any of it. Like, I can't fight. (laughs) That's that's what I took away from the first episode of Iron Fist. I do not believe that guy, whoever plays him, Finn Jones, has ever been in a fight in his entire life. Okay, what if I told you a minor spoiler that might change your mind? Does Spider-Man show up in episode two? No, but they explain in the story why his fighting skills are less than what you might expect from the Iron Fist. Is that the first thing they wrote into the script when they cast him? (laughs) It explains why his fighting isn't as dynamic or as exciting as, again, we might expect in episode one. But if in episode two, they explain why he doesn't have those abilities, would that maybe change your mind about what I perceive to be your biggest gripe about the show? Maybe. I'll get back to it, dude. I still haven't finished Jessica Jones. 
I will be able to manage your expectations a little better once I've seen more of it. Because I intend to finish it two, three weeks tops. I did find it interesting, though, that Jeff wasn't involved. And the guy who has also been doing the production, Jim Chory, on every other Netflix property, but not Iron Fist. So that absolutely accounts for some of the lack of continuity between quality that we've seen there. Because fighting aside, there is still some very obvious choices that are being made differently in this show that are not really in line with the rest of them, which we've already kind of gone over. That's also a nice lead-in into a Legion update, which I know you are bursting at the seams to discuss. He wasn't named, but we saw a drawing and we saw a wheelchair. <laughs> which is just as good as naming. For fans it is, but as soon as I saw the wheelchair in the image, it kind of became an X-Men show. And it hasn't been to this point all to the credit of the show. They've taken a mutant storyline and told it very differently. It's been great. As soon as I saw that wheelchair kind of roll into frame, at that point, dude, my geek bone was so hard. Because now it's an X-Men show, too. And I don't think it was before, do you? Kinda. That shot of the wheelchair was not just a wheelchair, but it was very clearly the wheelchair that we've seen uh, Charles Xavier use in the X-Men movies. I think so, too. That was definitely Charles's chair. Yeah, even if it was something that they created for the show, it was made to look identical to the one that he rolled around in for at least the first two X-Men movies. I love that. I love this show. It just got renewed. I thought it had been renewed after the first episode. They just got renewal for season two. So we will get to see more of the story. This is the direction that the movies and the television shows need to go. Tell a tale in this light. Am I wrong? No, it's great because you end up with a completely different audience that's going to appreciate the show for the craftsmanship. Everyone that was watching Fargo is already watching Legion because of Noah Hawley's involvement. I think the way the show that was put together and advertised, we're getting a audience that are not traditional comic book geeks. And now, I mean, obviously, the, all the comic book geeks are already watching the show because they know what it is. But you've built an audience that's more so than just that. They kind of hit it for me, though. If they didn't have the X in the title, couldn't it just be any show up until now? There's been some other things. There's but... been references, and yeah, they allude to shit. But it's really done differently. I like the different approach. We still don't know exactly when in time this story is occurring. Have we already talked about that? No, we haven't. It's one thing that I find interesting is that all of the set design and the wardrobe is very ambiguous and alternates between, I would say, late 60s to early 90s, depending on the shot in the scene. I want one of those jackets they wear. The yellow ones? Well, the brown with the yellow trim he wears in the institution. I want the red and black version of that. That jacket's pimp. Pretty sure you can find one of those. I'm on it. Aside from the aesthetic, do you have a sense now that you have an idea about what's going on? This last episode, I guess it was at seven? Correct. Explained a lot. Didn't you think? Like, they kind of took a lot of the pieces of the puzzle they've laid out and they put a, a few of them together. I think we're in for an even bigger reveal in episode eight, but that's just my gut because there's still a piece of the character's backstory that I think is going to make waves and really that's going to be the beginning of the show if they decide to go that direction with the character. We have no guarantees here that they're going to stick to the origins that we know from the books. I don't think they will. Just like the Marvel movies, they're going to take what they need from the stories, they're going to take what works, and they're going to work around it. Loving Legion. 
DC needs to do something similar. Legion is almost making up for how crappy the Marvel animated universe is. I'm just wondering how they proceed. And this is spoiler territory here too, potentially. So if you want me to shut up now, I will. I'm curious to hear what this big hidden thing you've been hanging over my head for three weeks is. It's not a hidden thing. This is the canon of the character's backstory. There's a reason the book is called Legion, and that's because he's got a legion of people literally living inside of him. So far, the storyline has pointed, which I think is a red herring, towards one particular mutant parasite that's also cohabitating his body. I think it goes much bigger and deeper than that. It's interesting. I've heard that theory before. I guess I'd just take it one episode at a time. <laughs> yeah, and the reason I've been reluctant to talk about it, because that could be a pretty big reveal in the show, and I don't want to ruin it for anyone who's not read the book. I certainly had to go back and read a lot on not only the backstory of the character, but a couple of key issues to really make sure I was correct and what my expectations were. And I don't know that I am correct, but I think at some point, if you call your show Legion, you have to introduce the fact that David Holler is inhabited by dozens of characters, maybe many of which we've already met. Well, you know they're going to keep Aubrey Plaza around. That's a given, right? I hope so. She does an amazing job. In a show like this, you could have her literally reappear at any time in any kind of form to be anything that they needed her to be, which is neat. I love her to death. Last thing I wanted to talk about, not a Marvel property, but certainly one that I think is on the radar of the hardcore geeks out there. American Gods debuts at the end of next month. And as a game and fan, that's something I'm really looking forward to. Everything that I've seen in terms of the stills that they've released from the show indicate that this is going to be something pretty fucking special. With one exception, who the fuck decided to cast Dane Cook? I didn't even know he was cast. That's how much I'm avoiding spoilers. In fact, I read American Gods probably nine years ago. I've never revisited it. I remember loving it. I can't remember a thing about it. I'm glad Gaiman, though, is finally looks like he's getting some decent treatment because he's a phenomenal author. Who is Dane Cook playing, though? Robbie. Okay. So one of the I mean, less savory characters. Do you characters. not want Dane to have some redemption? You know how bad his career got tanked because of joke stealing. No, I want Dane Cook to die penniless and disgraced. So maybe this is the thing that Doug hates this week, Dane Cook. Yeah, but you hate Dane Cook too. I don't hate Dane Cook. I'm not a big fan. One of his albums is pretty good. I'll say that. I'm going to cut this the fuck out of the episode. <laughs> I have to wonder, the joke-stealing shit. It always seems to happen when someone's really on the rise and really going, so is that the only way to get up? I hadn't heard it about Schumer until today. Oh, really, dude? That's been everywhere for a long time. and That's disappointing, though. If you're good enough to get to that level, why the fuck do you need to steal? It happens, Eric. You know it does. I know it happens, and memes are the worst offenders now. I see four memes in a day that are all the same meme, but obviously produced by different people, and it's the same fucking joke, and it's awful. No, I know it happens, dude. It's one of the things they teach you. The first rule of comedy is don't steal. I've read ten books on fucking stand-up comedy. Don't steal is number one rule. And the other side of that sword, of course, is that it's incredibly difficult to write something original and not have it at least be an echo of something that someone else has already written. And that's not just true of comedy. That's fucking all kinds of entertainment. 
I agree. And Louie even acknowledged the Dane Cook steal on his show. Right. Brilliant moment on the show, by the way. Took- kind of brought things full circle to me. I mean, Dane Cook was starring in movies with Jessica Simpson until all that joke stealing shit came out. And then, dude, he went from selling out arenas to nothing. I don't draw many lines on this show. In fact, I think I've told you that all bets are off. But, Eric, if you ever fucking come on Project Challenge again and say something nice about Dane Cook, we're going to have a problem. (laughs) That's bullshit. Dane's got some decent jokes. I know. I'm just trying to be funny. No, I mean, you're kind of like Dane Cook. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm honest, there's plenty of stuff of his that's made me laugh. Again, to my point earlier, there's two other guys out there that are doing another podcast about geek shit that are probably saying... Very similar shit to the shit that we're saying right now. Does that mean they're stealing? Does that mean we're stealing? No, it means there's only a finite amount of words that you can string together in particular combinations. Someone made a point at one point that there was only eight really good jokes and every other joke is just a derivative of those eight good jokes or something like that. I've heard that. And I'm, I'd say there's maybe like 24 good jokes. I don't, so I don't a multiple can... of eight. I don't think you can pare it down to eight. I can think of more than eight styles of joke telling, but I've heard there's only seven stories you can tell in a movie and that that hasn't that that's held up the test of time. I've learned three. You could boil it down even further. Right. So what are the three? Do you know them offhand? Yeah. When I'm not fucking four and a half beers in, I do. Hang on. Let me pull up my one note here and I'll put this into to what we need to do but yeah so three there's only three stories if there's only three stories maybe there's only one joke dude (laughs) (laughs) no it's probably the opposite if there's only three stories there's nine jokes but is there really only nine jokes there's more layers than that in my opinion i think if you look at the structure and disregard the content that's where it becomes apparent we're not going to get into this here but I kind of break it down mathematically sometimes, but I think once you start doing that, then you've completely lost the point of telling jokes. But no, you're right. Trust me. The easiest one to understand, the one I explain to everyone is the threes. When you do a list of something, it's always like there's this, there's this, and then the extreme shit. Right. Or the misdirection on that. I use it all the fucking time in conversation. Not on the show normally. Yeah. That's just a, that's like trick of the trade, I guess, if you will. But it makes sense. And when I watch TV and they do it, I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> write something better. You know, I <laughs> that's just one of them, though. There's a lot, dude. There's a, you're right. Maybe there is a, dude, maybe there, I think there's two jokes <laughs> the, the threes and whatever one I'm not thinking of right now. <laughs> the other joke. <laughs> I really want to sit down and write right now about comedy theory. But I think once you start getting into that, it's not that it's cheating. But God, I want to know that shit so I can become a better joke teller. But I also don't want to know that shit because exactly what you said. Do I unintentionally steal or do I write the same thing? I mean, of course you fucking do. Right? There's a fallacy in there. I can tell you what it is. And that's you should know. If there's only a certain amount of structures, you should know them backward and forward because that is the only way that you can truly avoid them and do something that's completely original. I know the structures pretty well, I think. I think you're a natural. I don't think you have to worry about that shit. But I still have to study it. Yeah, but you can study it and still not have to worry about it. 
I don't, but I kind of at the point in my life, Doug, where I really want to learn more. I know that. <laughs> and I think it's awesome. And for what it's worth, you've inspired me to start doing things that I never thought I was going to do. And the fact that we're sitting here having a conversation and recording it is probably the biggest indicator of the point I'm trying to make. Good. Dude, fucking buy the ticket, take the fucking ride. It gets so much better. And it will get so much better. But just do it. It's been liberating for me. That's a good word. I love that word. Well, that's fucking how I can explain it to you. Here at Project Challenge, we love all kinds of feedback and questions. You can find our email and Facebook details at projectchallenge.com. Follow us on Twitter at OGChallenge and kindly drop us a review for the show on iTunes or the Play Store. Huge thanks to all the listeners and until next time, stay challenged.